Welcome to For the Love of Safety, the show for you health and safety professionals out there, where hosts Justin and Jed talk about their experiences in this fun, frustrating, and rewarding field of occupational health and safety. Let's get to it. So welcome to For the Love of Safety. I'm Justin Clavin. We've got Jed Crawford here with me. And uh, we decided to do a impromptu part two of our risk um, discussion that we had last time because a couple of things happened to Jed and I here recently. It's actually the, the major reason why the episodes has such a gap in between what was going on because both of us were kind of nursing injuries <laughs> that occurred to us outside That's of work. Right. Yep. <laughs> And uh, we th- we thought that they were uh, they were interestingly interesting enough to discuss and kind of talk a little bit about you know why why we hold the beliefs that we do about uh, about risk. So Jed, why don't you go ahead and go first and and tell everybody what happened to you there, buddy? Sure, sure. So, like Justin said, we you know, we want to talk about these things because you're typically looking at tasks that we were doing, things that we were doing around the house or just out and about that don't have injury written on it that you don't even think of. And this is exactly the kind of situations that we find ourselves in in the workplace with our with our employees or with family and friends at home. There are circumstances where these traditional risk categories do not they do not capture what's going on. And lo and behold, you can have risk actualized into an injury like Justin and I had. (laughs) So I was simply, I wish there was a better story. I wish it was more cool. I wish I would have saved three people from a burning building, but I dislocated my thumb. Ah. And the, uh, the only cool part perhaps is that I also relocated it as painful as it was. Um, But having said that, I dislocated my thumb. Typically, I would say in the workplace can be, uh, you know, that, that could be a pretty decent injury as far as having people not doing their original work, especially if they work with their hands or their maybe laborers or techs or something like that, you know, where they are crucially working with their hands. And to be quite honest, who isn't? But um, I was simply putting in a car seat in our family car. I was simply applying pressure to the latch strap and my weight shifted, I fell down, my body kept going, my thumb did not, and all of a sudden it went, and I had to, I immediately grabbed it, I looked over at my wife, and I started laughing. <laughs> you know, I have had for the longest time, had this, on, on really bad injuries, I've had this almost nervous anxiety reaction where I just start laughing when it's really bad. I remember I was playing football with friends in, in high school, and I go up to catch a pass, catch a pass, get clipped at the legs, like barrel roll in the middle of the air, come down on my ankle again, pop. And I'm sitting there rolling on the ground laughing. And I'm telling my friends, look, you've got to get me up. You've got to get me over to the over the sideline. They're like, oh, whatever, get up, come on. And I said, no, I'm serious. I think I did something to my ankle bad. And by the time they got me over to the the side of the field, it was my ankle was softball Ooh. size. Ouch. And uh, same thing here. Just, uh, I just started laughing, and my wife's like, "Do we need to go to the hospital?" I said, "No, no, no, no. It'll be fine. It'll be fine." And a urgent care later, and then an orthopedic visit later, 
uh, lo and behold, you know, I had a dislocated thumb out of simply putting in a car seat. Right. But you didn't have to have surgery, now, right? Where, where's the where's the risk in that? No, fortunately, I did not have to have surgery. So that, you know, that's obviously a good thing. Um, you know, in some ways, maybe we would hope for a break in those kinds of those kinds of locations with joints. But I don't want to get too far down the road on that. Um, but yeah, it was a simple, simple task. And the the positioning of body weight and and losing lo- I'm sorry losing my body weight causing me to shift all of a sudden something very simple something that is essentially minuscule because of the circumstances around it became very much a big deal when my thumb goes snapping out of joint and what oh. was the you had but you weren't able to use it for a while right you were out of commission Oh no. So I was, I was put into a, um, immobilizing splint to keep it in what they call the, uh, the relaxed position so that there is, you know, an ample amount of, uh, time and, and set for those ligaments to get as, as, um, healthy as possible. So yeah, I was completely, at least that joint was completely immobilized for, you know, two, three weeks. I can't remember now, but, uh, Essentially, this time that we've been off here. <laughs> Which hand was it? My left hand. And let me let me go ahead and say this: I am right-handed, and and surely I will get behind someone who says, "Well, at least it was your non-dominant hand." Kind of true, but I, honestly, I had to. You don't realize how much you use your non-dominant hand mm-hmm. on simple tasks that affect everything you do, which then can lead you going down the road of getting yourself into another squirrely position, to be honest. But I I had to start saying to people, I don't care that I'm right-handed. It's hard to do life yeah. without your left thumb. So really interesting, I thought. Maybe give me a little bit more uh, uh, sympathy next time someone has a <laughs> hand injury, specifically yeah. a hand injury on their non-dominant hand to say, mm-hmm. I know what that's like and I know how hard it can be. Yeah, and if you were, you know, luckily you don't do a whole lot of manual labor at work, but if you were, then that's even that's even harder because now you have to make adjustments to what you're doing. Right? Which is even why what seems like to be a simple injury can lead to more, which I think you were you were alluding to and um, earlier. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How about you? <laughs> so, I tore my plateris tendon and that is, uh, I think my doctor, the way she explained it is out of everything you could have done, you got very, very lucky. So in this particular case, um, I was moving furniture and it was, it happened to be a credenza. It probably weighed a good 200 some pounds. And, uh, you know, not, not many people know this, but I guess they will now. So I've got a, uh, problems with my neck. I've got some scoliosis, so I'm not supposed to be picking up anything really heavy. I just, I shouldn't be doing it. Um, I need to be careful because I could pinch a nerve or, you know, throw my back out of alignment. And, uh, that happened about two years ago and it took me out for a good three months because it was just, it was incredibly painful. It felt like I had, um, wedges underneath my shoulder blades. But, uh, so with that in mind, I went to go help move this thing. I'm like, this thing's really heavy. I I'm not going to lift it. There's no way on this green earth. I'm going to lift this thing because I'm going to get hurt. So I just, you know, sat there and kind of started problem solving and I kind of nudged it a little bit and the thing moved. I'm like, I'm going to just push it. It's not that big of a deal. 
So I started pushing it and got about, I don't know, 50 or so feet. And, you know, I could see where it was going at the, at the end of this hallway. And I'm like, this is, this is perfect. I can just, I can just do this. And I was pushing. And then all of a sudden I felt this snap and the, like a rubber band hit me in the back of the knee. Um, and I knew no one's around me, knew no one was there. And the first thing I did was freak out because I thought that I tore one of the bigger calf muscles because it was down in my calf. Yeah. And, oh, uh, the, you know, the first thing I did is, is I started to move my foot because, you know, I was thinking calf, I was thinking Achilles tendon, that it did something, but I was able to move my foot just fine up and down left, right. So I knew that it, whatever I did, it wasn't completely torn. Um, and, uh, and it, and it, you know, it was okay, but then the pain began <laughs> and the swelling began and, um, it felt like I had a ball on the back of my knee. Um, and I, I honestly thought that I had tore a, uh, a muscle and this was at like eight o'clock at night. So we you know, what do I do? I elevate my leg, I ace, I ice my leg and I wait. I just sit there and wait um, until the morning to try to get a hold of a doctor, and I did, and um, got a hold of an orthopedist. They sent me down to an urgent care, and the urgent care checked me out, um, put me on crutches, and said, "Look, just stay off of it. It doesn't need emergency surgery because I can feel your muscle still there. You have a crap ton of swelling. You're in a lot of pain, but." You know, we don't think that it's anything that needs to be operated on today. So after the urgent care, I was able to go see the orthopedist there a couple days later. And uh, the orthopedist looked at me and said, you know, I can't really tell what you did. Um, let's go get an x-ray and see if there's anything broken. She thought I might have broken my leg. So the x-rays came back negative and she said, all right, um, I can't tell exactly what you tore. The pain where you have pain, it worries me a little bit because, you know, if you did tear part of that muscle, I'm worried about a blood clot. But let's go ahead and order an MRI and let's just look for blood clots. Let's, let's see exactly what you did and then we'll be able to do targeted physical therapy. She said no surgery for a calf injury um, unless it was completely severed. And she's like, it's not completely severed because I can still feel your muscle. But she she was really worried about the, the level of inflammation that was there too. So... Um, before I left, though, she said, you know, um, the, the treatment for injury like this, regardless of what it is, is going to be, you know, keeping the, the muscle still, dealing with the inflammation, dealing with the pain, and then doing PT. So in order to keep the muscle still, she said, I'm going to put you in a boot. She said, that way, as you know, you can go about your business, you won't be on crutches, um, you can put your weight on it okay, and uh, it, it'll help you heal. So she she put this massive boot on me and then sent me over, sent me on my way, said, you know, make the MRI appointment, and after the appointment, we'll meet. Um, so I call and try to make an MRI appointment, and it's not, I, they can't get me in for like a week and a half. So I'm, I was in this boot for that period of time and it's kind of hobbling around trying to learn how to walk in it. And it's kind of funny because it's got like a, um, it's not flat, it's kind of rounded. So you're almost rocking when you walk. And there's a few times where I almost face planted <laughs> because I wasn't used to how, how it was operating. Um, but the swelling was the worst part. And, you know, trying to go to work and do all that stuff was hard because if when your foot's down, that's when it swells. And all the, all the blood was draining down into my ankles. So my ankles were really swollen or my ankle, not my ankles, was really swollen. Uh, sleeping was hard, you know, because I'm, I sleep on my side and my stomach and it just, I couldn't do that. I had to sleep on my back with my leg up. So I dealt with that for a good week, went and got an MRI, which is a story for another time. It was a horrible experience. I never want to get an MRI again, <laughs> but, um, uh, after that, they said that they would be in touch. I called my doctor and we just kind of waited. The MRIs, the MRI finally came back uh, about 
a week ago and then I called my doctor and she couldn't get me in for another week, which happened to be last week that I was able to, to go see her. And uh, the, the MRIs were really cool. Um, it showed that uh, my, plantar my plantaris tendon uh, was partially ruptured and the swelling that was going on was because that tendon runs in between the two calf muscles that's there. And the sheath that it's in is, is very inflamed. And so when those muscles contract, they're just squeezing on that. And there's a nerve that runs along there and it's just, it hurts. Um, treatment wise, I don't, don't need surgery, but she, uh, um, she said that she didn't, she could tell that I had, uh, I had trouble staying still and that, you know, it was that our job, it's kind of hard to just sit at a desk. So she said, uh, you know, you'll just stay in your boot. It'll heal. It won't, it would heal faster if you would just rest. Of course, that's hard for me. Um, so I'm, I'm in the in the boot for a while, um, and uh, I've had a lot of time to think and to sit and reflect, which is I think how this episode kind of kind of came to be because I called you just to see how you were doing. We hadn't recorded in a while because I was injured. You told me about your injury. I'm like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> um, and and you know, I I really did do a risk assessment when I was when I got hurt. I. I was I was thinking this would be the safest way of moving it. Now some people were like, were other people helping you? The answer is no. I was moving it by myself. I was pushing it. Um, I, I guess the easiest way to explain is I was pushing it carefully. I was I really wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. And the tendon that I tore is typical for tennis players. I guess um, it uh, it's it's from kind of pushing off, which is what I was doing just pushing off and going. Um, age may have had something to do with it too. The doctor might have mentioned that as well. Um, I'm also not the most fit individual in the world. <laughs> so that was another risk factor that I didn't consider when I was when I was doing this. You know, I, I still consider myself younger. Um, but uh, maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should have a different mindset. Um, but it's, you know, the, these two injuries highlighted to me exactly what we were talking about in our last episode, which is risk. And humans are the most riskiest things. You can do everything right and someone can still get hurt. And it's not, it's not because what they're doing is high risk. is because what they're doing has risk, period. And the only way to have zero risk is if humans aren't involved. So as safety professionals, we need to remember that. And we need to, to watch out for it and mitigate as much as we can, but um, recognize that there are some things that you cannot control. Stuff like this happens. Neither one of us did anything majorly wrong in our respective injury, injuries. We could make the argument, anybody from the outside could make the argument that we could have approached it in a different way. You could have had help. I could have had a different angle. We can go about all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, we were doing rudimentary things that had maybe not zero, but very low risks associated with them. And yet two particularly nasty injuries come out of that. So how do you get, how do you get a person, maybe not even a person, how do you get a company or an, an entire EHS department or the managers involved, if we're specifically talking about the workplace now, how do you get them to see 
that some of this stuff is going to happen because of the human element. I think that's that's where all this is going to because the same kind of thing that happened to you and I can and does. We all know it does happen in the workplace. And we certainly don't want to do those things. We don't want to try to check out of our job when those things happen. We'll, we'll do whatever we can, but you and I both agree sometimes these RCAs that are done on on really small things are just wastes of time. Some of this stuff is going to happen. But that doesn't mean we should just throw our hands up and you know just punt it as deep as we can into opposition. We need to do something about that. But for me, that is much more, how do you get the managers involved in all these things to understand that, yeah, this is going to happen? That is a that is an actually very hard question, and I don't think that either of us have quite figured out the whole the whole picture there. Um, what I can say is that you know to your point, some of these RCCAs can be um, a waste of time. However, we need to make sure that we do something to investigate to make sure we're not missing something. And I don't you know maybe not have a hundred people, but at least look mm-hmm. at the injury. And look at the circumstances surrounding it or look at the risk and just double check, make sure, maybe get a peer to say, hey, would you mind take, you know, taking a look at this? I think I have everything, but I'm not completely sure. Uh, we used to do that. We used to do peer reviews within our group. And just, just make sure that yeah. you didn't miss anything. Um, and at the same token, you know, when you give that report to the manager, to, to somebody else, you need to emphasize that there's there are some things that we can't um, – that we can't control yet at the same time, be very careful not to let them go from one extreme to another. So, you know, some managers may look at that and say, exactly. That's why injuries don't matter. Get out of my office. We're fine. Um, or the other side of, I don't care. Somebody got injured. We need to do everything we can to make sure that nobody else ever experiences that again. So you've, you've got, and I've seen both of them, you know, and you, you, you need to try to, to bring them in, in the middle. And I think, I think talking about it and doing the risk analysis, doing some sort of an RCCA helps us get there. But there's some managers that will just never get it and they don't get it. Um, There's others that it might take a personal experience for them to understand what we're talking about, you know, where someone sneezes or bends over and hurts their back or where somebody, um, you know, puts in a car car seat and (laughs) dislocates their thumb. They'll understand it if that happens to them. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's a, a good approach to have is to talk to them about some of the injuries that that you've seen in an experience to try to get them to understand and relate to it. Um, and I, I like I said, I wish there was a silver silver, silver bullet or, or catch all for this. And it's really dependent on the manager. And sometimes we just can't. We just got to do the best we can. Sure. Um, I will say this, though, and we've already, you have said it, I have said it, and we'll continue to talk about this point as the show goes on. And I think as you and I go on in our, our profession, the value of talking to people about whatever it is the injury might be. Because here's a simple example. Um, picture pressing down on the release button for a seatbelt. I am now very conscious very conscious, at least while my, uh, since we're using physiology names here, because Justin had to go complete medical on me, <laughs> my metacarboophalangeal <laughs> joint, Sorry. my MCP joint, I am very, I'm very cognizant of how my thumb is angled as I'm pressing and putting force onto my joints. While it, it shouldn't hurt at all, 
me putting my thumb very naturally in the same position. I just had it a few weeks ago. And when an undue amount of force was put on that joint, obviously I had the dislocation. Now I'm, I'm just, I'm that much more aware of a position, something that our traditional risk categories, I don't think catch, but I've had that experience. Um, and I, I want to be very careful about not going to the subjective where it's the experience, it's the experience, it's the experience, you know, cause if we, if we uh, amass a bunch of anecdotal things, I don't know that we, we run the risk of not actually landing on the objective and helping, you know, the body of knowledge overall. However, to, to talk about those situations, to talk about the kinds of things that do happen, that did happen, that probably will happen again, that to me is invaluable. I don't care if it's with the person who got hurt or with the manager. I think it's, it, I think it's all kinds. I think it, it's everybody in between all of that, certainly with the individual that gets hurt, but I'm now a little bit more keen to change the positioning of my thumb. It sounds kind of silly, but you can take that to just about any domain. You can certainly take that to about anything that we do work-related as far as um, injury-producing or injury-potentially-producing circumstances. So the, the talking ab about the individual injuries or the circumstances with an individual, a crew, a whole production line, a company, whatever it might be, that to me is invaluable, indispensable. I think it's something that we really need to do and continue to do. Uh, and I also completely agree with that. It's one of my friends, um, and I'm going to take this into a broader sense real quick and kind of step out of safety sure. a little bit and be a little philosophical. Um, one of my friends, one of the the things he says anytime that he goes, um, goes through um, – uh, adversity or, or anything that's, that's hard. He always says, you know, I take a step back and I think, you know, what can I learn from this? What can I do to make myself better? Mm -hmm. And anytime you get injured, it's, it, you know, you have the, you have these two types of reactions. The first is the same reaction as when you touch something hot, when you're little, you get burned and you know, you're not going to touch that again because it hurts. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you can look at how you've had to change your life based on how you were injured and maybe find something good out of it. So my, my friends, you know, you're, you're keeping an eye on how your thumb is. Uh, for me, it's actually walking as dumb as that sounds. I walk really fast. You've walked with me, Jed. I mean, you, you've seen sure. me. I'll, you know, I go, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very brisk walker. Um, can't be brisk in a boot. I have had to slow down to a normal pace, I guess what to say. And, uh, this weekend I was out with my wife shopping and she, she just, you know, she got out of the car and was halfway down the parking lot. She turned around, she goes, I keeping, keep forget. Usually I'm having to run to catch up to you because you just get, you know, you walk fast. And I said, yeah, I've had to walk slower. And it's one of those things where, um, I've seen as fa fa fast as I walk, I miss things. And now that I'm walking slower, I'm seeing things that I didn't normally see when I go into a store or when I do something else because I'm able to take in more information, um, you know, turn my head a little bit more, see more hazards that are around me, so to speak. Um, when I got, uh, when I finally got good enough on my boot to feel comfortable to walk on the shop floor, we've got a main aisle so that, you know, I can, my boots, not a safety shoe. Uh, the bottom of it's like solid steel, but the top of it, it's kind of open. So, um, you know, but walking the main aisle, I've noticed that now when I do my morning walks, I see a lot more because I'm going a lot slower. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's a takeaway from this injury that I'm going to continue to to make sure that I uh, that I do is is just walk slower mm. and give myself more time to see things you know that are going on. Now, obviously, if there was something emergency or a fire that I needed to get away from, I'm not going to walk slow. <laughs> but in normal everyday life, I, I think I will. Um, and so I'm going to try to take this situation and make a behavioral change to make myself better. Um, and I, and I, I like, I like your point where, you know, how do we, how do we get this information to other people? How do we get people to almost empathize with this situation that this person was in so that maybe they don't, um, have a, the, the likelihood of that same injury occurring. And maybe one of the things that we can be doing too, is showing them different ways of doing things that, you know, this person has changed their behaviors, has changed their attitude because of this injury. Maybe you guys should consider that as well. Um, yeah, that, that that's awesome. Yeah. I um, there there's no doubt that consequences drive behavior more so than anything else, and I think it you know for all the glitz and the glam of having these injury free programs and the metrics that come out behind that and the awards and all the press that goes on with that, and I certainly want those things. I think we all would just holistically, just being honest. No one wants to see anybody get hurt, but for anybody who has done health and safety and has had to do the investigations, the reporting, looking at managers and telling them about the metrics and, and individuals getting hurt, you look at some of these these press releases of these companies that hit these milestones, and I'm talking massive ones, and you look at it and you kind of kick your head to the side to say, there's no way. There is no way you've had that many man hours with no injuries. Unless all you do is basket weave and pet puppies, there is no way that you have those kinds of metrics. I want them. I just know that it's not possible. But here's the thing, from just to piggyback from what you said. So then if the individual health and safety manager, and then just individuals in general, if you just be honest, isn't it funny how, as Justin said, when we, if we slow down, we see more, how an injury, even though it's antithetical to what we do, we're supposed to prevent them. But how incidents, injuries, how these things give us just a, a heightened awareness that we would not have otherwise. I hate to say that, but and I certainly don't want this awareness coming at the cost of individuals, and their quality of life, businesses. But if you just take a step back and be honest, how much you grow as an individual, as a person, when times are tough, when things do not go the way they're supposed to. Uh, it's it's almost a part of the human condition, I think. I would certainly argue that it is a part of the human condition, much more so than what the uh, the scope of this show is about. But I just think it's interesting and something that, if anything, I could just say to anybody listening to this episode from what Justin just said about he's going to make that a part of his daily life, well, then try to do that because it's going to happen. And, and maybe it's as simple as just slowing up a little bit so that you can see something that you probably weren't seeing before. Thanks, Jed. That's, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, I, I appreciate your insight. And, you know, I was really, I was actually really excited to do this. I almost consider this episode an aside, you know, in, in theater an aside is when the characters turn to the audience. This is me turning to the audience yes. <laughs> and just saying, Hang in there. It happens to all of us. It happened to us. Um, and also just to apologize for for the long time in between episodes and just kind of explain to you guys what was going on um, and how we were both trying to heal from that. Mm. Um, 
So, Jed, you want to kind of recap what we went through there for everybody? Sure. Listen, folks, we talked about chiefly injuries that happened to Justin and I, things that we were doing that were commonplace and yet cause injury because of the risk inherent in them. And in continuing to press our expanded view on what risk is, how to better look at that, not only in the workplace, but even our personal lives, as you just heard. And so even as we talk about the injuries that, that Justin and I sustained, and we know that's going to happen in the workplace, we want to try to just call to the carpet the very real, uh, just the reality that, that people unfortunately are going to get hurt. You yourselves, as you listen to this episode, you're going to go through life and, and something's going to happen because risk is inherent in everything that we do. But that doesn't mean that when those things happen, that we have to shut down and, and walk away. There, there, there is a wealth of knowledge to be gained, even when times are tough, even when we find ourselves weak, injured. It, it's just as much a time to learn and grow as when the times are good and your programs are functioning the way that you hope they would. Uh, so it's, it's a learning experience no matter what. And if anything, Justin and I can say, we've been there too. We'll probably be there again. Uh, so just uh, if we have one of these little uh, side episodes, just get ready because one of us got hurt, if not both of us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And honestly, I would love, you know, there's there's actually something that, that we talked about earlier, and I would love to hear from everybody. Some of the experiences they had were where do, how do you convey this information to management? What about you guys? What have you guys done? to convey this information, what's worked for you. We would absolutely love to have some interaction with that. Please send us an email at four, that's the number four, theloveofsafety at gmail.com. Uh, you'll hear it on the outro as well. Just send us, we, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to, to, to interact and we would absolutely love to actually answer some of the questions on when maybe one of our next episodes or even kind of do a follow-up with what you guys have. So please send us your thoughts. We will see you guys again soon here on this wonderful For the Love of Safety. And don't think for a moment, it's exactly what I screamed when I dislocated my thumb. <laughs> that is a perfect ending, Jed. That is a perfect ending. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to For the Love of Safety. You may always reach out to either Justin or Jed by email at ForTheLoveOfSafety at gmail.com. That's the number four, the love of safety at gmail.com. Health and safety is fun. It's frustrating, but it is so rewarding. We'll see you again soon here at For the Love of Safety.